Lord, we thank you. We love you. We love your word as we go into this, uh, this talk. We ask, Lord, that you will um, speak to us uh, from the scriptures. Uh, we we want to receive everything that uh, we're meant to receive intellectually, the things that we want to learn uh, and that we're meant to learn, we want to learn. And the things that are meant to grab our hearts and, and transform us, we ask that those things would transform us. The things that are meant to happen uh, simply by the power of reading the scriptures and engaging in them, however that works uh, by your power in a mystical way, we want to receive all of that as well, Lord. We just open ourselves up uh, to your presence, open ourselves up to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, in the middle of a series uh, that we're calling Why This Matters that is um, looking at some of the, uh, the theological nuances that are sort of attached to the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, um, which, is, which is awesome. But uh, there comes some challenges with that because you can get into a lot of technical stuff and it can become uh, super impractical and, and super, you know, sort of how many angels are dancing on the head of a pin crazy. And that's not what we're about. We're wanting to uh, really look at this stuff and see what it means for us practically. So we're wrestling with this, uh, this incredible symbol, uh, the cross, uh, and, and what it means. It's something that, you know, is, has gone from uh, something that happened in Jesus' day to uh, symbols that have been sort of crafted into something that's meaningful in so many cultures around the world. There's an Irish, like a Celtic cross there. You see the cross in the center is a Byzantine cross, an ancient uh, cross from uh, the church around the area of Constantinople. And then there's an Ethiopian uh, cross, Ethiopian Orthodox cross uh, there as well. And, and that symbol has just meant something so huge and so much across the world. And here's, actually here's uh, American crosses. Uh, you can just you can just Google that anytime, uh, decor and cross, and there are just so many, okay, we're having a little sound problem, uh, so many just great options there for $195, you can get, you know, like, <laughs> you know, people have them on their walls and, and all that, but when you look at the cross, it really, it, it's pointing to something really significant, right? It's not just a decoration on your wall. And it's not just a cultural piece that's been uh, been a part of uh, part of the framework of of art and history. We're we're looking at an actual event that happened. We're looking at uh, this incredible um, moment where Jesus, uh, this person uh, who is God, uh, lived and walked the face of the earth, and ultimately was um, was tortured and murdered for the life that he lived and for the things that he said. And, and it's just so bizarre to have uh, that symbol as central to uh, Christianity. Uh, but, but all of the nuances to it, it's, it's a very, very simple symbol, but there's some complexity in terms of uh, what it means. Uh, people like St. Jerome around uh, 347 and, and every person who grappled with the cross since the time uh, of Jesus has has pulled some important ideas out of it. We have these great big words, substitutionary atonement, imputed righteousness, propitiation, expiation, uh, Christus exemplar, all these different ways of looking at the cross and, and what it means. And if we just sort of take those things and we sort of put them in our, you know, on our, in our minds as like important theological words and doctrinal boxes uh, to check off, you know, we're just, we're just totally Bible nerds. 
you know, we're, we're just complete, we're complete Bible, Bible geeks. We've just got this religious thing that we're wearing that, that doesn't really impact us. How many of you would, would actually, does it, would anybody wear that shirt over there? <laughs> Who would? Warren, okay, okay, that's good, nice, yeah, I can still see it. Yeah, yeah, just, the, you could probably find that for a friend and it'd be really, really popular. Maybe the youth group could wear all those, I don't know, it's a, <laughs> It's, they're really hip. Everybody's doing it. Um, but, uh, so, you know, it's more than a t-shirt. There's something really real. And those words are more than just things that you learn in Bible school, right? There's they're something significant. And what we've found in terms of how we do life and, and how we do ministry uh, is that the cross is really the only thing that accomplishes transformation, right, in our lives. It's really the only thing, uh, when we do counseling, uh, it, it's just bringing people to the cross. It's the only real thing that we know how to do. That's a picture of my coffee cup this morning. But if you'll come to our house for prayer and care, you might drink coffee out of that cup. I promise we'll wash it uh, before you do. Uh, but we're gonna, you're going to be asking some of these really fundamental questions in life. Like, I, I can't pay for my mistakes. I, I can't seem to do enough. I, I experience darkness. Uh, God must be angry. Uh, I have no right to be with God. I feel distant from him. These are all sort of, when you, when you boil down the troubles of life, it, it all comes down to uh, these kinds of things. And what we're going to talk about this morning is, is the question that, that so many people wrestle with. Two questions, really, but or two thoughts. Is one, the first one is, no matter how much I do, it just never feels like enough. Has anybody ever, ever felt like that? Yeah. No matter how much I do for God or no matter how much I do in life, uh, I, I still feel driven to do more. I still feel uh, somehow empty. I still feel somehow a little bit unfulfilled. There's something uh, missing in my life. How many of you remember a time when you did something really, really awesome uh, for God and you came to the end of it and that feeling that you get of gratification and joy that you had just kind of fades away and all of a sudden you're wondering what's the what's the next thing I can do sometimes serving God is a thing that we we do it's almost like a a a hit like a like a drug thing like we need another hit we need to do another great thing so that we can feel good about ourselves and and we as people like in terms of some of the counseling and care that Anna and I do we often are caring for other pastors and it's certainly something that I felt as a pastor it's like no matter how much I do, uh, it, it just doesn't meet the needs in the world in a way that's satisfying. I can always see more needs. And there's something inside me that is just broken that is like, uh, I, I, I haven't done enough. What is that broken thing? I haven't earned enough credit. I haven't uh, tr- accomplished enough. I haven't achieved enough. It's like there's something inside me, and, and this is something that's so common to us as pastors, that that there's a broken religious thing inside of us that wrestles with this. And it's like we're trying to put enough points on the scorecard, put enough points up on the board to somehow be okay with, with what's going on. And that's just a religious human wrestling that so many of us uh, struggle with. So we see people like that in our living room. That's where this gets real. And the cross speaks to that. The other uh, thought that is really real for some of us as we as we wrestle is like, I do so much good. I do so many good things. What do I need Christianity for? Like, I'm, I'm basically a good person. Uh, we're living in a world that's uh, essentially now had God sort of extracted from it. 
right? We don't live in a world where people are, uh, in many cases, even relating to God or thinking about God or thinking about what he thinks about their deeds or thinking about what he thinks about their, their lives. They just basically are living in a place where they're trying to do good and hopefully do more good than, than they did bad and, and hopefully contribute to the human gene pool in a way that's positive and ultimately hopefully their children will uh, be slightly better than them and will just all evolve into a better and a better and a better humanity uh, all without God in the mix and, and what you do when you talk with people like that and we, and we speak with people like that too is we, we see that they're wrestling with an essential emptiness. There's, there's a way in which uh, that living disconnected from the divine ultimately produces a sense of angst and a sense of dissatisfaction in us. It, if you're here and you've been in that space where your you're, you're sort of Christianity is, is there at a distance, I'm, I'm fine without it. If you'll be really, really honest with yourself, you'll be feeling at your core in those quiet moments when you put your head on the pillow the sense that what did what did I do all this for? What am I doing my life for? What's what's the point? The reality is is that with both of these two ideas, no matter how much I do, it never feels like enough, or I do so much I don't really need Jesus, I don't really need Christianity. There's just a basic problem with the quantification of the do. There's a basic problem with that idea of how what you do. Uh, fits in the equation of life and balancing an understanding of the universe and balancing of an understanding of where you fit with God. You plus do simply does not equal righteousness. It's simply not fulfilling. It's simply not satisfying. It's simply not enough. You plus what you do will just never balance that equation. And, and, and we see people all the time in our living room that are just wrestling with that that, that sense of grief and that sense of disconnect. And that's what uh, this idea uh, from the scriptures that the theologians have talked about for a long time, the, the technical term for it is imputed righteousness, a slightly easier term for it is gift righteousness is about. And this is something really important that the scriptures talk about when it talks about what Jesus did and talks about the cross. I'm just going to read this text and we'll dig into it in just a little, uh, a little bit more. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage, dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we have Paul, like, you know, if if we read a little bit further Back in the text in, the, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul was like a righteous man. He was like a really, really good man. And he was doing all of the stuff as well as from his perspective or from a religious perspective it could be done. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 it says, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God. He's addressing people that are coming to his community in Galatia and saying to them, hey, or in, in Philippi, and saying to them, hey, you guys aren't, aren't, aren't doing it right. You're not doing faith 
well enough. You've got to do, uh, you've got to do it different. You've got to do more. If you're accepted Jesus, uh, we've got to get you signed up over here. Uh, anyone who wants to be circumcised, you men, just come right over here so you can be righteous. <laughs> you know, like that's what, that's what people were selling to these guys, right? So imagine if that was the sort of righteousness we were looking for. My son Jack finally comes to faith. I sure hope he does someday come to faith. <laughs> uh, you know, at the age of, of 21 or 22, and I say, well, you know what, in order to connect with God, in order to really uh, have him in your life, what we're really going to have to do, son, is have you circumcised. Are you, you good with that? <laughs> right? How many teenagers are signing up for that? Right? <laughs> bad deal. Like, really bad deal. Uh, there's this feeling, this sense of this need to do stuff, and Paul's just addressing it. He, he says this, um, being confident of, of this, that he... Sorry, I'm jumping ahead there. Um, He's saying, though I myself have reasons for confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in their actions, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church uh, even. As for legalistic righteousness, I'm faultless. Like he nailed nailed the law. He did the rules. He followed the thing. He lived a really, really good life. And this is what he says about that really good life that he lived. I consider my deeds garbage, dung. Sky belong. Dog throw. Okay, a Greek scholar looking at this we, we sanitized it in our English translations so nicely. I counted all refuge or I counted all dung. Paul was using a much cruder term. All this righteousness stuff, I call it all dog. I, I'm not going to use the S word because this is being recorded. But that's the real deal, right? Like, like he's like, it's nothing. It's, it's garbage. All this stuff is nothing. What I need is a righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that comes from him. You know, we talked last week or or two weeks ago about uh, the way that Jesus uh, saves us, the way that he uh, made a sacrifice for us, the way that he uh, really took our sin and dealt with it on the cross. Having your sin dealt with is amazing, right? It takes all of the negative things you've done and it wipes them away, right? Amen. Like that's absolutely amazing. But you know what that does for us in terms of our relationship with God? Like how far does that take you to heaven? Just being me who doesn't have the sin. Now Jesus has dealt with my sin. What, what righteous deeds do I have to, to proclaim before the throne of God? What are my deeds? What, where, what is my righteousness? Where, what is that? Having our sins taken care of is, is awesome. That's a huge part of what Jesus has done for us. But that just takes us to the point of treading water. That just takes us to the point of, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I've, I've got this stuff dealt with in my life. I'm, I'm alive here. I, I'm sort of surviving. That's kind of awesome. A full understanding of the cross in, it considers the idea that it takes more than that. It takes you plus the righteousness of Jesus to be in a place of intimacy with the Father. 
It's not just being clean, which is awesome, like absolutely critical and essential part of the message of Christianity, right? An essential part of it, but there has to be something more even than us just being clean. There's a righteousness that a high and holy and amazing God is all about, right? And we, we see this longing in even back before Jesus' time in the book of Isaiah. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Like all of our righteousness, like even if, even if everything that we've done and all of our bad stuff is cleaned up, even that is just filthy rags. It, it's just nothing. It's just, it's just, it's just not enough. Uh, what we see later in Isaiah is this, uh, this, this crying out, this celebration of something that God is going to do. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. There has to be a righteousness more than our righteousness that we can wear. There has to be a righteousness more than our deeds that we can wear. And it's the righteousness of Jesus. So I found, like, when you search robes of righteousness, you get all kinds of crazy images. You get really, really cheesy images. So I found this guy. I would kind of like robes of righteousness like that. Would you like to have robes of, like, would that be... That'd be pretty cool, robes of righteousness. You get all kinds of crazy. This is one of the best robes of righteousness you can get. Um, you can get that on, uh, on, on the internet if you wanted to order yourself some, some robes of righteousness. But I also found some other robes of righteousness that I liked a lot too. <laughs> that, that are really good robes of righteousness. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like bathrobes of righteousness? Like that's, that's pretty, I, I like this guy. He's really happy with his, with his righteousness. But, but the, you know, you gotta come before God dressed in something. And it can't be what you're wearing. It can't be, it can't be just your filthy rags. This idea of imputed righteousness is, is so important. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord my God, for he has clothed me with a robe of righteousness. Something has to be imputed to you. Something has to be added uh, to you. Uh, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And we see this all over Romans and in a whole bunch of other places. That righteousness is, is not just being clean and being not dirty. There's, there's a way in which righteousness is the acts, the deeds of Christ that are attributed to you. That are attributed to you. There. Like, uh, like can you imagine like getting like a, uh, you know, who's your favorite like artist, like musical artist? Justin Bieber? Who, who, who is it? Who's your favorite like, like musical artist? U2. Yeah, talk about U2. Right? I mean, that's for the old people. Talk about somebody young. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Okay, that's pretty... He's so cheesy. <laughs> but imagine like, like all of a sudden all these amazing songs written by Bono or written by Ed Sheeran. And, and you know that these are songs that are like multi-million dollar songs 
that have connected with the world at a high level. They're masterfully crafted and have been incredibly beautifully recorded. They're made gorgeous. They're made beautiful. Uh, They are of universal appeal. They're amazing, amazing songs. And imagine that, that, that Bono says, you know, it's your so awesome. I love you so much. I care for you so much. You know what? I'm going to just take my name up there, the song by Bono, and can I just put your name there? Could I just put your name there? Would that be okay? Can I attribute this song to you? That's what imputed righteousness is. That's what Jesus does for us. It's not just our acts. We stand before the Father and we receive the righteousness of Christ. We receive the acts and deeds of Christ as a gift from him. Nothing we could do, nothing we can earn. Which returns us to our questions. Why is it that no matter how much I do, it never feels enough? Because it isn't. It just isn't. We need his righteousness attributed to us. We have to surrender. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons for doing good things. There's amazing reasons for doing good things. We want to do good things because we love him. We want to do good things because we're thankful to him. We want to do good things because they're just. Because they're expressions of truth. And because they're kind. But we can't do enough things to make ourselves righteous. We see this again all over the place in Romans. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices in light of his mercy, in light of his gift. Uh, That that verse in, in Romans is preceded by this incredible song that we have written in the text. Of course, we've long since lost the tune, but it says, who has ever given to God that God could repay him? Therefore, in view of his mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. There's a reason to give. There's a reason to pour out your life. But uh, to earn righteousness from him isn't one of those. Return to this, this thought. I'm, I'm basically, I didn't put a question mark there. I'm basically a good person, but why do, I, why do I need Christianity? Because our best isn't good enough. We need option two. You know, wrestling with that sort of question, like... It, if you're here and you're not a Christian or if you uh, know your friends and you're trying to make a case for them uh, like, like how do I explain to this person uh, help them understand that, that they, there must be more there must be more to, to doing the life of just simply, uh, simply being a good person um, you know it's one of the things we run into as pastors all the time at, at funerals Sometimes, uh, just not too long ago, well, she was maybe almost three or four years ago, I was asked to do a funeral for one of the teachers here at the Scott High School, one of the guys who was uh, my teacher, Mr. Pritchard, who was my English teacher in grade, uh, I believe, grade 11 and 12. Wonderful, wonderful man, good man, but clearly uh, not a believer. And, and you've got a whole group of people in the crowd there that you're, you're about to talk to that really, really want you to say something about how he's going to have a wonderful afterlife. And you've got to wrestle with what this means. What does salvation mean for him? And uh, there's, a, there's another pastor. 
um, who's, who's, I'm afraid I, I didn't write down, his, I've forgotten his name, but this is a quote from, uh, from a pastor telling how he deals with that, that question. He says this, he says, funerals are never pleasant events. They can be ripping. When a believer dies and he or she has shown clear evidence that they've been born again, there is joy in the sorrow and sometimes great joy. But when the person who has died is not a believer or claims to be, but there is not evidence of them having been born again, it is difficult to know what to say at a funeral. But this is how I handle it. I say something like this. We are all going to die, each of us, and give an accounting for our lives in the end before God. And on that day, we'll have two options. The first is to take our stand on the basis of what we've done with our lives. The second option is to take our stand on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done with his life. I shall exercise option two, where I find no hope in option one. When you stand uh, before God as a person, and you have to give an account for your life, Will I list for him? Yeah, I was basically a good person. You know, I, I, I tithe quite regularly. Um, I, uh, you know, I went to church all the time. I preached some, some really good sermons. Uh, some of them weren't so good. Uh, I, uh, I, I was pretty good to my kids most of the time. I didn't yell at them too much. Uh, I, I, I took care of the poor. I pitched, picked up some hitchhikers. Uh, I, I'm not like those people who like are just totally selfish all the time. God, I, I, I really did try to do a lot of good things. I, I, that's, that's what I want to present before you. Or will you present the righteousness of Jesus? Will you present the righteousness of Jesus that has been given to you, that has been imputed to you? What that means attributed to you is that you get to stand before the Father because you've identified with Jesus on the cross and you've accepted that gift. You get to come before the throne of grace and when Jesus uh, talks to you, when God talks to you, when he has an interview, however that process works, he's not just seeing you, he's seeing Jesus if you had identified with Jesus on the cross. So you get to say when God asks you, so what have you done? with your life. You get to say, well, I healed some lepers. Blind Bartimaeus. Yeah, that was me. You know that guy who was in the synagogue back in the first century and he was demonized? I told the spirit to be quiet. I I did that with your authority, God. Uh, I cared for my disciples. I, I washed their feet. I lived in perfect righteousness, God. I walked this planet and I cared for everybody. My heart was full of love 100% of the time. And even I loved my disciples so much that I, I died on the cross for them. I gave my life. That's what it means to have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. Now, whose righteousness do you want to take before 
the throne of God. Do you want to take Jesus' story or do you want to take your own story? He loves you so much that he lets you take his story. He loves you so much that, that all of his deeds, the song of his life that was written beautiful and pure, he puts your name on it beside his. All our righteous acts are as filthy rags. I'll take his rags. I'll take his righteous acts. And then what will be the father's response to that? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You may enter into your rest. And that's the only way to live life uh, in rest. And that's the only way to live life in peace. It's the only way to serve God with passion without burning out. It's the only way to approach Christianity, saying that the stuff I brought is nothing. I want the stuff you've done. And when we can lay down our due and pick up his done, we live in peace and enjoy. Let's stand. Lord, we just come really humbly and confess that any of our religious deeds, stuff that we've done to make you like us more, it's been good stuff, but it's, it's ultimately not satisfied the longing of our heart. And we know it's ultimately not satisfied your longing for us. But you, in your incredible love, have said that, that we don't have to depend on our own deeds, but yours. We, we simply receive righteousness as a free gift. We repent. We ask that you would forgive us for all the times that we've just tried to do it on our own. Would you pour this out on the hearts of your people in a way that seems more tangible to us than I could ever describe or explain. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you cause us to know that we can stand before your throne with confidence? For everyone who has been striving and striving and trying and trying and working and working and never feeling like it's enough, would you let them hear that future and present sounding of your voice that says, well done, good and faithful servant. And would you let everyone who's thought, man, I don't really need this Christianity thing. I've got this on my own. Uh, come to grips honestly with that sense of a need of that sense of approval from you. We long for that relationship, God. We declare that your deeds are enough, that your righteousness is enough. We receive your joy, we receive your grace, uh, we receive uh, your healing, 
Would you heal and restore all of us who have been striving and refresh us? And would you teach us new reasons to serve? That we could serve out of love and joy and passion and gratitude and justice. Just to be like you, just to imitate you. Set us free from religion. Set us free to live lives of worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.